0: Welcome to episode eight of the Truth CS:GO podcast. Today we're going to be talking about DreamHack Masters Malmo two thousand and seventeen. Uh, we'll also talk about a couple of little roster changes that have cheekily been made in the last week. Uh, we'll have a toxic player of the week, a couple of shoutouts, and we'll be done. Now, this week's episode is going to be uh, slightly shorter than last week's. It was a long episode last week. I uh, crawled pretty far up my own ass, I think. But I've got it out of my system now, and you'll be pleased to know that it's pure CSGO this week. First up in the news, we had uh, a roster change from God They've brought in Freddie B as a new IGL, the new in-game leader. He's coming from Epsilon. He's following in the footsteps of Disco Doplin, Draken, Rez, who also came from Epsilon. Of course, Rez and Draken are now at NIP. Uh, Epsilon's basically a talent farm these days. Oh, I have to apologize too, if I sound a bit um, stuffed up. It's because I am stuffed up. I've got a bit of a cold. That's what happens when you're kissing a bunch of strange girls on the rebound. No, that's not true. Um... I'm just sick. Everyone's getting sick. All right. So I hadn't actually realised that Pronax had been benched from Godsent. Um, I guess it happened a couple of weeks ago. He's still on the team as a substitute. Poor old Pronax, though. He's got a lot of flack, hasn't he? Since uh, since he left Fnatic, or since he was kicked. This is a guy who's won three majors, but was um, getting a lot of getting a lot of grief for not repeating the same sorts of successes ha- successes he's had in the past. Some people put that down to him being a fairly relaxed in-game leader and have attributed his previous successes to basically just having Olaf, J-Dub and uh, Senor Vac in his team. Remains to be seen whether he can prove himself once again. Uh, I think to put, it, put all his victories down to his teammates is probably a bit unfair. It's not like they've done amazing things since that era of dominance anyway, the uh, fanatic players, so who knows, who knows what's what, what's next for ProNex, I wish him all the best, Freddie B though, don't know much about him, look forward to seeing what he's going to be doing in Sent. they definitely need some sort of pumpkin spice to uh, make the latte a little more interesting on that team. Uh, next we move to Renegades, who of course, you know, I like to keep a... Uh, 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 an interested eye on considering the fact they've got three Aussies in their team right now I think three Aussies JKS is and um what's his face uh they've announced they're getting rid of Jay-Z walkings uh who they had they had on trial for Malmo he didn't really perform he's a Swedish player so they had no no he's a he's a Serb no he's a Swedish player that's right is he uh, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on because I think I've got it in my notes later on. They've replaced him with Keith Markovic or Markovic. If you don't know who Keith Markovic is, you probably know him as Naf. Now, an interview on HLTV with the coach of Renegades, Assad, himself a Serb actually, he mentions they've been trying to get Hiko, Chris J and Sonny, but it had to settle with Nexa, who turned out not to fit in. So Nexa was playing with Renegades uh, earlier this year. Actually, since February, I think. In Kasad's words, what we said to him is that he just wasn't ready to play on that level yet, and he wasn't ready for life in the US in a gaming house. So, if you're not too familiar with Nexa and Renegades, let's say Renegades just popped on your radar at Malmo, and all you know about them is that Jay Z Walking's on trial with them. He's a 20 year old uh, from Serbia. And uh, it's not really any wonder he didn't fit in. bunch of Aussies and Yanks living in a house together and one Serbian guy. Uh, Now I have one Serbian friend. She's lovely. But she's a very, uh, let's just say she's idiosyncratic. At least when you compare her to the people I know from Australia and the US. Anyway, Nex is still young. I hope for his sake he finds a good team to play in with his countrymen. Also Casard mentioned Renegades now have a sports psychologist which uh, it, it appears that they've contracted her or him I guess I shouldn't make ju- make, make make assumptions um uh, when I picture sports psychologist at esports now I guess I just picture um the Australis sports psychologist cuz she was visible at the Vegas Major uh, but he, uh, he, he, he says that they've got this sports psychologist for the next three to four months. They've had a, or him, <laughs> or it could even be a new pronoun, which I haven't heard of. It could be pigsy folk. Um, they've had this sports psychologist for the last 10 days and it's already been working for them. So that, I think it's a good thing because it seems like renegades have been losing a bit, of a, a bit of a mind game. Even since the days of sponge, I reckon. And if you're not Australian, you may not be aware of the term cultural cringe, but cultural cringe is a sort of a a shame that we have about the fact that we basically have no culture. We're, we're, we're a colony that was germinated by uh, criminals and convicts sent over here by the UK, who was kind of sick of uh, housing all the criminals in giant boats. So they just put the boats over and we uh, ended up Settling on the lower side of Australia, torching and burning the poor Aboriginals who were here for the most part. And uh, as a consequence, had a bit of an inferiority complex when it came to both the British and the US, who've basically been sitting on our faces, culturally speaking, for the last, I don't know, I guess probably since the advent of television. Um, anyway, as I, I digress. It's good to hear that uh, Renegades are happy with a five-man team now best of luck to jay-z walkings it's an awkward name really isn't it uh i think if you're going to go any further young lad maybe think about changing that name that's a uh, becoming a common advice on this podcast now and of course i offer my services uh for name creations i'm always open um so he was at fanatic academy so interesting to see whether he sort of goes back into that uh how do you call it? Estuary. And hopefully ends up in an ocean of a fanatic or godsend or, or even NIP. I'm sure this is not the end of things for him. I don't think anyone really judges him too harshly for not performing in a team in which he'd just joined. So let's move on to the Dreamhack Masters Malmo 2017. Now I have to confess, I didn't know where Malmo was before this. There's been previous tournaments in Malmo, all of which I've missed. Uh, anyway, we'll start with the group stages. NIP versus Gambit was the first match up where I started to take notes. As, as as I've said before, it's incredibly difficult to watch these matches live uh, because they basically start at my seven pm and end around my four or five pm, uh, four or five am in the morning. But I did manage to catch several of them and catch up on them the next morning. So NIP versus Gambit was first up for me. NIP were up 13-2 in the first half. This is on cash, which was quite exciting. Gambit had some great A-takes. We had overpass and we had train. NIP finally took the series. And this was so exciting because they seemed to have a bit more of the cogency that they didn't have at the the last showing they were at, Cologne, where we, we saw some good stuff from them. We saw of... We saw some good uh, holds on B site from Res in heaven, things like that. We saw some lovely deagle takes of A site by Forrest, but it just felt a bit fluky that now they're actually looking like a team that had a bit of a purpose. And turns out they'd kind of do, and we'll get to that later on Um but for now, let's move on to Cloud9 versus SK. And we'll talk about Gambit as well a bit later on. But Cloud9 versus SK was also quite exciting. We had uh, Map1 on train, and Cloud9 were looking really good. Uh, I said last, last episode that I didn't really know Tarek and Rush too well, but they were playing fantastically. And you know what occurred to me while I was watching this? I am prophesying, or prophesying? I am seeing that Stewie2k... It's going to take his team to a major, and win it. You heard it here first, folks. It's going to happen. It's it's going to it's going to happen for an A, and it's going to be Stewie who does it. And I think my opinion comes from the fact that Stewie is a very determined young man. He's very talented, and he's creating his own story now. And that's only possible now that nothing of Shroud have gone, who was sort of the players with more status than Stewie. Now Stewie can write his own hero story. And that's going to be Cloud9 becoming important in Counter-Strike again. They weren't, they weren't firing on all cylinders yet. Map2, Cobble, uh, SK beat them pretty soundly but they were still looking competent. I feel like in that match they just weren't really being too smart about where players were going to be. Fur was always A-long, like always A-long, but they just didn't seem to remember and they rushed up mid on A-site and he would flank them. So I think, you know, you look at issues like that and that's a communications thing. That's a, that's a team cohesion thing and uh, that's just going to take time. When they get it together though, I think... Uh, I think this is going to be the start of NACS actually coming onto the scene. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot to predict off a couple of maps, but I'm putting it out there. Let's move on to Astralis first Navi. Now, the thing to note about this map, which you probably read about on Reddit if, you, if you're a, a regular lurker, was the interesting graffiti spray that Astralis put up on the bathrooms on the A site and what it did, if you didn't see it was cover up a, a sign, a little spot where you line up a smoke to go onto the A site. And so you couldn't actually line it up because you line it up usually on the, on the letters on the sign. And like, obviously I think, I think the clip I saw was labeled like Astralis one quadrillion IQ, play obviously this is very smart but also like ridiculously obvious like how has no one thought of this before ah actually that, w- that we haven't seen this in a match before and I think device in a in a post-match interview or maybe it was Glaive was like yeah one of the reasons we kind of did it on this map or this match was to bring it to the attention of people because it shouldn't be in competitive in the competitive scene and I would agree uh why would players be graffiting in a competitive match anyway? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But the fact that you can cover up well-known uh, identifying elements for lining up smokes is definitely a bug and not a feature. So kudos to them for not totally abusing it, although they obviously could have brought it to Valve's attention and the community's attention beforehand. But I don't know. I I, I don't blame them for having fun with it in a map let's move on to navi versus renegades map one was cobblestone and simple was just just going off he had an amazing hold round four holding a with an AWP uh i recommend checking that out if you're uh if you're an AWPer and then of course he had an amazing 1v5 in the 26th round which was just bonkers uh, classic simple clip. Map two was train. Renegades put up a better fight in this one. They they lost Cobble, but they just had some shitty strats. Um, like, well, I mean, you know, Assad was to- he's talking about how they sort of haven't really had time to 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 gel properly as a five man and whatnot. And we talked about how they've now got a new player. But I don't know. There's uh, how much do you have to drill a strat for it to work? I don't know. I've never been in a proper team, so I wouldn't know. But it did seem like they their ideas were a bit a bit lackluster. Uh, Naf, I thought, had some really nice orping especially on uh, cobblestone. He was holding a with the orp but once again, Jay Z Walkings was quite unimpressive, and those weren't strong enough in the end to bring down the Navi. Natus Vincere. Let's move on to Gambit versus Phase Map 1, Mirage. Phase 1, 16-11. Olaf had an amazing 4v2 pistol pushing into jungle. Uh, I think it was the first round, yeah. And uh, another another round to note, if you're going to go back and watch this, uh, and this is the map out of this series to watch. Phase was 8, Gambit was 19. It's round 18. Nico was on CT. He's holding connector, right? He's looking down connector into mid. And he gets peaked simultaneously by two gambit players from both sides with CZs. Now, Nico's got an M4 because they've just won the last round. And, uh, and the players who peaked him, I think one was Fitch and one might have been Zeus. But the idea of peaking simultaneously from two angles is such an underused strat. It's so basic. It's so basic, but it's so effective. Like, that's how we should be entering every site all the time with our team. And yet so often that's not how we do it. This was a fun peak that I've never really seen done as smoothly. I think Zeus might've come up through unders for it to really work. I don't think anyone crossed con, but I don't think Nico, Nico even got a single kill. Anyway, check that out. If you've got a team and you're developing your, your teamwork, map two was trained. Gambit won that. Uh, which is a shame. It's generally a pretty strong map for phase. Then map three, uh, which I forget where that was, but Gambit won sixteen thirteen. And now, according to Fitch, in an, in an interview with HLTV, this is purely because Hobbit went into beast mode, told the team to wait back until he'd killed everyone. So Hobbit, as I suspected, pretty much the backbone of this this team, as uh, Fitch said. Just went full big brother mode, just like, it's okay, little brothers, I'm going to take care of this. Now, let's talk about FaZe. FaZe, at this point, it's very obvious to me they just do not have the story and the identity for them to be a winning team at this point, and, and I'll explain this. FaZe used to be underdogs, right? They used to be the rejects. Carrigan kicked from Astralis. Astralis went on to dominate. Az kicked from Dignitas. Allo kicked from basically every other team. Now, they have no excuses, right? Now, they've got Guardian, they've got Olaf, They are a super team. But there's something very inorganic about being a super team because you're all aware that you've been poached pretty much because you, you, you were willing to take a larger paycheck, right? And maybe, maybe there was a curiosity there about playing with other good players or a desire to play with people who've, who've proved themselves, but the way you've formed is very inorganic, and and before you say, well, uh, other teams are just formed by, you know, poaching players. It's, it's actually not the case. Teams generally, when they're forming, pick up people who've been playing together for a little while. That may be two, that may be three, uh, maybe four, maybe five players. But what that means is they've got familiarity, they've got history. And generally, they have nationality in common. And nationality in common is something that we, we don't really think of that often. Uh, and you wouldn't think of it because, well, in a server, we're all the same, right? And you don't think necessarily go, well, uh, Olaf's good because he's Swedish or he's good despite he's Swedish. You just go, he's a good player. And the same with, uh, the same with Guardian, But there's an affinity that we have, a tribal affinity, and without that, the players have to do a lot more work and a lot more time, they have to put in a lot more time together to create that natural ease. And if you've been traveling, you know this, if you're an Australian and you're in the jungles of Cambodia, seeing another Australian is a nice thing, even if that other person's an asshole. There's a natural affinity there and a relief from bringing around a countryman. Now, FaZe, not only do they not have that going for them, but they also have no story to speak of yet. And story is very important, especially as as men. We have to uh, live by what we feel like our story is uh, or else we're not quite happy enough. And the fact that these guys have sort of been poached buy an offer that came from outside and like i said it's basically basically occurred cuz phase have more money than apple at this point um that's a disruption you know it's an opportunity yes but it's a kind of opportunity that someone takes when their career's over and they're more interested in say buying a house or providing for a family or simply putting away a nest egg because they realize they're not going to reach their potential. Now, I'm not saying that's what players like Olaf and Guardian are doing, but that's the kind of moves that generally you will find sportsmen, for instance, making when they've won, say, a couple of Super Bowls when they were younger. They take the more lucrative contract at a team that, you know, maybe needs that star player, Uh to raise the profile of their team, but doesn't necessarily harbor any, um, you know, desires or expectations that they're going to win. Now, I think Faze want to win. Don't get me wrong. I think that's definitely the goal of the organization here. And uh, the fact that they've gotten so many star players really tells me that they want to win. But now the journey that these players are going to have to go on as a team and in terms of creating a cohesive narrative for themselves, which Carrigan really going to have to be responsible for, it's a long one. Uh, and that's really a story of friendship, right? These guys are going to have to hang the fuck out for a long time and get very friendly with each other because you cannot create that story unless you are really tight and you feel like you've got brothers beside you. Carrigan's going to be the one to do it, but to some extent as well, it's going to be up to Olaf and Guardian to really, I don't know, open up, let down that guard and be willing to reposition themselves and, you know, re- re- really willing to rewrite that next chapter with other people involved. So I guess it's a fairly in-depth way of saying uh, I don't expect FaZe to be good immediately. And if they're going to be good and they're going to be a winning team, it all comes down to whether they're going to be friends or not. So if you're a phase fan, you're going to be finding clues to this sort of thing in their social media. Interesting that it comes down to this, but that's probably how it is because they're not going to release a, a statement on the regular telling you how good they are as friends, but you keep an eye on their, on their Instagrams and if they're hanging out outside the game, then I think we'll be looking at a phase that starts to become competitive in the way that on paper they should be. That's enough about phase. Let's move on to Immortals versus Fnatic. The last game I'm going to cover. Oh, no, the second last game I'm going to cover the group group stage. Uh, and actually, I'm going to go through this quite quickly. Immortals took it in three maps. It was very close. Fnatic looked actually like a better team. They did. Immortals just kind of had that loose, undisciplined style. But I think they were saved in this case by KNG. He was really taken off. I think KNG's is somewhat of a better player than his teammates. Although it's hard to make that judgment, obviously, when he's the auper and... Uh, the Team in, in some way revolves around him, or is he the Orpah? Is it Henny? It, maybe it's Henny, maybe he's a secondary or maybe Kanji's a secondary Orpah. Anyway, it was often him who was anchoring sites, he was getting the sort of 2Ks, 3Ks that really you know swung the round. Uh, I think Immortals, you know, we're talking about the story with FaZe. Immortals really have a strong story, and that's they have a big brother in SK. When are they going to grow up? You know, when are they going to go, hey, we're here? When are they going to have their Counter-Strike Bar Mitzvah, you know? Uh, so um, I'm looking forward to it when it happens. Let's move on to SK versus North. This is the last map of the group stages. North took this out, which was, which is a really fun series to watch. Config put in a massive performance in particular. Uh, and the new hire, Valde, actually bottom-fragged. So turns out MSL was kind of the problem, I guess, in some way, or his departure sort of unblocked some sort of talent stoppage. Maybe it allowed other players to relax more, which is very important. Map 1 was cobblestone. SK won it, even though they looked a bit shaky, I have to admit. Train was uh, a win from north. And I have to say, SK always a fun to watch on train. And that's just because of one thing. Fallen on the Orp, on the A-site, this is guaranteed to be a highlight reel that comes purely out of him covering off Pop Doc, covering off Main, covering off Ivy, and getting multiple frags just by switching where he's looking. I think any, any anyone who's an AWPer should be looking at his uh, CT side train. Map three was... Um, oh, shit, which map was it? I don't have that down. Uh... Well, anyway, what I've got down here in these notes is that their CT defense just fell apart. And what it felt like to me happened, they didn't really have the cohesion we've come to expect. I talk a lot about cohesion, and SK generally have had that sort of hive mind cohesion where Fallen is the sort of the head of the octopus and all the other players are his limbs. And they seem to move autonomously, but in a very connected way. And if I was to speculate what happened or what's been happening to SK who've had a pretty uh who haven't quite had the matches recently that we've expected of them uh I'd say this is down to fall and losing a bit of motivation now this is pure speculation but then again so is this whole podcast really so uh, who am I kidding SK have been number one run number one once right in a huge way. Now they've also been number one twice this year, and I mean not just when I when I talk about instances. These are these are long running instances. They've run multiple trophies. What I'm wondering is uh, what does Fulham kind of have to prove at this point? He's done it once. He's done it twice. You know, it's possible he's thinking more seriously about having kids at this particular time than getting frags. I wouldn't put it past him. And once that brain starts to lose a bit of focus, you're gonna not you're not gonna see. Well, you're gonna start seeing the, the kind of things that we did see, and I'll talk about more of them uh, when we come to the match against G two, which I may as well because that's the next match. This is the semi finals. It was G two versus SK. Map one was cobble, and for starters, can I just say, and this is not just my opinion, I'm sure, taco cannot AWP. He can't. And it's, and it's not that he can't hit things with it, but he cannot position himself well enough. And he shouldn't be given it. He showed it on train versus north. Uh, but on this particular map, he was outplayed on B for sure. Uh, and when Kenny, when Fallen had the AWP on B, Kenny outplayed him in the Jewels. And yet, even though it felt like G2 were dominant here, SK went 11-4 on the first half. Now, SK had their usual good flanking, but, and here's where that octopus analogy comes in, it was not always with the best judgment. Fur did a a ridiculous push. I can't remember which round it was, but right up mid. Got creamed. Timing was terrible. Uh, And one time he pushed behind them with good timing, but completely stuffed up, getting a single MP9 kill. It was like he was getting too excited and, and, and it was like, well, it was like the octopus losing control of one of its limbs, you know? It was like the children running out across the street and getting hit by the car, which is, uh, I guess, quite a vicious analogy to use, but you get where I'm going here. Uh, if, if, if Fallen's not quite concentrating, those limbs are going to start to go a bit spaz. Um, now, SK really made up for this in a really solid defense uh, on, on the CT side. And and they stuck to sites, which 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 really made up for them. And uh, G2 just kind of got punished by it. Now, map two is Inferno. Now, this map has become notorious and was kind of instantly notorious. Some people said that uh, this actually tilted Henry G. I didn't think he got that tilted, but he did sound a bit disgusted. Uh, it's the closest thing we have to a scandalous play from a top team. In a while, and I don't mean it was uh, unethical, but it was just so stupid. If you don't know what I'm talking about, SK are up 15-11, right? They're on CT side. Phelps and Fur rush down Banana and get killed basically instantly. G2 push Banana, which is completely clear now. Break SK's economy by winning the round and came back and won the map. In in overtime. Now, uh, apart from the obvious stupidity of this, why wasn't fallen on Banana like he usually is where he kind of dominates? I've got to wonder how much of an advantage teams like G2, who have brains like Smiths, who are quite disconnected from the hive mind of the actual team, uh, have over SK. And look, I know SK has a coach. I don't know who that, that coach is. But Fallen is the voice of God in that team. Let's be honest. And SK seemed to fall, fall apart a bit after that, you know, and and, uh, and G2 took advantage, came back and won. And if they'd had that extra voice, who could have talked to them in the breaks and calmed them down and gone, look, here's the bigger picture. This is what you do. I think they could have won. Map 3, Mirage, Shox, Apex, Kenny stepped up massively, SK fucked their economy and SK were mortal again. And now, now one of the most interesting things about this series, quite apart from the fact that G2 are basically like SK's kryptonite at this point, I think uh, the post-match interview Sue was talking about how they'd won five out of six, the last six maps against them. Um, NBK put this down to Apex having a massive series, but One of the things that uh, is interesting to note about this series is that SK never won a pistol round. Didn't win a single pistol round. No, vice versa. G2 didn't win a single pistol round. SK won them all. And that means six pistol rounds go against you. The chances of you winning become very, very low. Uh, And for the benefit of... Everyone on Reddit and you, dear listeners, a young man or woman or old man or woman, let's be honest, I don't know anything about this person, called DK. posted a little uh, set of statistics that he'd worked out as to the probability of winning the way G2 did. Now, I'm going to race through his maths because it's pretty boffany uh, and my head might explode. But basically he starts off by saying a team that loses both pistol wins against an equally skilled opponent has a 25% chance of winning the map. If they lose the the two following rounds both times after the pistol round, which I think think, uh, G2 did, they will have a 14% chance of winning one map. And then he does the maths and crunches some numbers and cooks the books and comes to a number which, look... I did general maths at school, which for those who aren't Australian means that I was the dumbest child in maths at school. Although I did quite well. So I was the smartest dumb child when it came to maths when I was younger. So I can't tell you whether these figures are correct or not. But he comes to a figure that the chances of G2 winning the way they did is 0.008%. And the type of scenario that happened will play out one out of 12,897 times. So it seems insane, but I'm I'm willing to believe him because it's fun. Uh, So, yeah. I don't know. He does some more maths. Anyway, whether that's the case or not, I think it's a pretty fun statistic. It just shows how much SK were kind of losing the mind game and perhaps it is because a bit of it is because g2 have that sort of mental edge over them now let's move on because i don't want this podcast to go on as long as it as long as the last one nip Nip versus navi uh simple had another crazy game nip were beginning to look like they're getting yeah you know they're they're gelling um get right having some great plays again flamey had some good plays never been a fan of the flame Meister, but uh he was going off, and I have to admit it. Every time there was a pause, all, uh, however, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, the coach actually wasn't saying anything. Um, What's his name again? I forget. The bloke who came over from Gambit with Zeus. But anyway, Zeus was doing all the talking. So, uh, it kind of fits the narrative that Zeus was purely loyal to this bloke and just wanted to go back to Na'vi as well, rather than he left Gambit because they were kicking someone who he thought contributed to the victory. Uh, now Nip won partly because I think Draken just went off with the, get right, lurking like a hound. Uh, and, in a post-match interview with HLTV, Draken explained the choice of Mirage, which was, yeah, you don't usually see that. You don't usually see NIP picking that. Um, but uh, to paraphrase, he said, We started playing Mirage because it was both mine and Rez's best map, or a top contender for it at least, in Epsilon. We always had high numbers on it. As an orper. you can do very much, go anywhere, and mid is so open up, there are so many angles. You can get so many entries there, and it's a good map for Nip. But then he goes on to say, and uh, no, I'm using his grammar here, obviously, I think we have the right team now for these open aim duel maps with me and Rez. Myself, I feel super comfortable if I just get in my zone and Mirage, and on every map I feel like I can be number one. I just need to hit my peak and stay there. Now, uh, what I what I'm taking from this is that uh, NIP have completely reoriented the team so as to cater for Rez and Dragon's strength. Now, your initial reaction to that might be, "But that's insane! You've got Forest, you've got Get Right. Why aren't you catering to them?" But here's why I think it's a good thing. Get right and Forrest have peaked multiple times as players, right? For them to peak again, in inverted commas, they're going to need to peak in a different way, and obviously that requires an adjustment. Now, to force an adjustment on them at this point is probably the only way you're going to be able to do it, because who has authority over those sorts of players at this point? Like who who's better than those players, really? Who's more decorated? Maybe Olaf Meister. Maybe that's about it. Uh, so the fact that they're and when I say forest and Get Right exist, I always include in that. Exist actually had a bit of a beast of a series as well. But the fact that they're going to be adapting to something new, I think it's a great idea, and I think it's probably the best way they're going to grow. You know, working out how to play around Res and Draken. They're going to have to learn some new stuff. That's what they need to do. They need to learn some new skills, grow some new armor on that uh, on that dinosaur flesh of theirs. Let's move on to Astralis versus Gambit. First map was Cash. Astralis just seemed like they weren't reactive at all. They weren't dynamic. They had these really staid, sorry, excuse me, they had they had these really staid smoke strats Um, and they they let the clock run down a few times. Um, and now Astralis have sort of seemed to lack a lot of confidence, haven't they, since the Major? Except for Dupree, who had some great charging through smokes from a site with a flashbang. And a UMP, um, but it wasn't enough. You know, in fact, watching Dupree's sort of smoke pushes, I just thought, mate, you're the only one right now. You're alone. I felt bad for him. Uh I thought one interesting strat in this that Gambit uh, demonstrated was Dosha. Now Dosha was anchoring the B bomb site, and I haven't seen this particular strat before. It's not—it's nothing remarkable. But I thought if you're if you're a B site player on cash like I generally tend to be. It's a good one to keep in mind. When Dosha would hear or see players about to hit the B site he'd smoke the middle of the site between the two front boxes and that would sort of funnel everyone anyone who was rushing onto the bomb site via headshot. and uh, I've usually smoked well I've experimented with smoking checkers and I've of course I've experimented with smoking main so as to sort of funnel people one way. But even if you smoke checkers, you're still going to get people splitting between headshot and middle of the site. And this strat was very, very effective against uh, Astralis' B-pushers. So that's one to definitely check out if it sounds like a cup of tea. Second map was Mirage. Astralis were just basically blown out of the water here. And one of the reasons, funnily enough, and surprisingly enough, and to my joy, was Fitch the former Tengri player who have Gambit have brought on to replace the Zeus Meister. Um, And actually, I don't realize this, but he'd played with Hobbit before, but of course he had because they were both at Tengri. Um, Now, Astralis just in this map, basically seen outclassed and outaggressed. And as I mentioned with the first map, it kind of makes me wonder about that period of preparation that they had before the major, where they took all this time off and they kind of zoned in on, I don't know, as I asserted monomaniacally, basically targeting SK. Not to mention that um, Astralis went down in the ma- to Gambit in the major as well. So it's probably a bit of intimidation factor there. Um, and look, if you guys listened to the last podcast, you'll know. Uh, not the last podcast, the one before, the last podcast. Yeah, yeah, when the roster changes happened. Uh, I think Gambit, I predicted Gambit we, we, we were not going to see the end of them, that this was the beginning of a good run for them. And I hate to say, I told you so. Although I love to say, I told you so. But I told you so. I predicted Gambit was here to stay. And that they would have taken whatever Zeus basically imparted to them and retained it and, and are going to do better things with it now. Uh, minus the domineering ego that I reckon Zeus probably brought to that team. Not in a bad way necessarily, but that's a man with a large ego. Now, when you watch matches with Navi, uh, as I as I was bringing up earlier, um, Kane isn't saying much, right, <laughs> on the on the on the coaching side. So I reckon Zeus. I reckon this is more evidence that Zeus is kind of the, the kind of IGL who was really good for morale on the team, and not necessarily strats. Uh, so, what Gambit now have the chance to do is retain all that morale and confidence from winning and now pair it with some strats that they can develop on their own. Um, and, and I reckon you can see this because in the, in, the, in the post-match interview with Fitch, he was talking about the things that um, Adren was saying to him and they were very basic. They were just like, go out there and shoot things, you know, and we have confidence in you. They were purely morale-based. Um, so I think it's a good thing. Again, Gambit do not need Zeus. And the fact that they wanted to get rid of Kane tells me that he was contributing nothing strategically for them. And this is really the chance to become the kind of team that would have won the major uh, against the best teams, not just sort of the top 10. Let's move on. North versus Immortals. Uh, On Inferno, North were basically much better across the board than, than Immortals. More disciplined, more aggressive, hit more of their shots. In fact, Immortals seemed undisciplined, Across, like, uh, to a bizarre amount by comparison. Which makes me wonder, like, what effect really did Magisk have on North? Um, And what effect, or, 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 yeah, or, 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 like, what effect is is, is Valde having? Um, I heard a podcast with, I think, Thorin and um, Richard Lewis where they were talking about how Valde has has a reputation as a really good guy. And there's nothing like having a really good, solid, calm, relaxed, easygoing person on the team to allow you to feel like you've got solid building blocks to jump off, you know? Now, Valda hasn't had the greatest games thus far, but it seems like he's raised the morale across the board. Second map was Mirage, went to overtime, um, and there was an ace clutch from AZ. Well, I think looking back, the main reason AZ was able to do this was a poor decision by Henny, who was flanking from CT on the A side. And decided to try and pistol Az instead of use the AWP. What a clown! That must be uh, that must be a source of worry for him uh, and insomnia. I'm sure. Um, I felt sorry for him. It was it was a bad call. Uh, and they could have won this. They actually could have taken it back. But this was the first time I really sat up and thought, oh shit! North is actually a new team, feeling like a new team. Now let's move on. NIP versus G two was the second last semi-final and that went on the uh, uh, first map on Inferno Um, and G2 169 NIP didn't really have the strats here to crack G2 um, but one of the more notable strats was in the pistol round and it wasn't the first pistol round I think it was the second pistol round yeah yeah is down 13 to uh, 3 to 12 right they're on the CT side somehow they get three players banana I think they pushed up behind a smoke I I wasn't sure because I was watching a highlights VOD. Um, there was no actual full length VOD online by the time I woke up. But they managed to get three players banana. One was at the top baiting shots, and the other two had pushed down and they were on the left hand side if you're looking down banana towards the T side. The guy at the top's baiting for the two below, one who crosses behind the wood. So then when another player rushes up to get him, the third player shoots him from behind. Uh, and there's like three stages to it because, it, yeah, it gives them three points of focus and banana. If you're interested in that strat and you've got a team, check it out. It was actually really fun to watch. I wish they had more of that kind of thing that we saw come out, but, hey, still early days with NIP. Second map was cash. One of the things that people were saying about this was that res basically just got pounded at B-Site. Um yes, yes he did, but I don't think it was entirely his fault. He very rarely had backup, to be honest, quick enough. Um But to me the real issue was that NIP just didn't really make smart decisions when they're on the T side. And one round they even just pushed straight through smoke, entering B, like from A from from B main, which you don't even do it on, you know, m- m- my level, which is, full disclosure, MG2. Uh, so it was disappointing to see NIP do it. Um, they're kind of better than that, you know? Anyway, let's move on to North first Gambit. Gambit, this was another match where Fitch showed up in a way that was really surprising. Top frag are both maps. AZ, though, went off. Config went off. Um. And now Dren said that after beating Astralis in the previous match, he wasn't happy with where the team were at, right? Even though they were seemingly really had still that steam left from the majors. He said that um, he wasn't happy with the amount of practice they have been able to squeeze in with Fitch. And he also talked about how big an adjustment being IGL was, that he was starting to look at other IGLs. So seems like this is a bigger change than, you know, maybe maybe we all thought it's going to take a while. Well, maybe I thought anyway. Uh, the fact that Gambit were playing as well as they did just goes to show how skilled they are as a team individually and, and it probably also has something to do with the fact that um, Fitch, as he said uh, in, in the HLTV interview has been friends with them all for 10 years so we're going back to that friendship thing, right? that story thing if you're playing with a brother you'll play twice as good as if you're playing with a stranger now let's move on to the grand final and uh, before we get into the matches, can I just say something about this analyst desk? And I think I've mentioned it before, but Vendetta, mate, you make me nervous just looking at you. Uh, he seems like a nice guy and he's got some very interesting things to say, but he's just got to relax. Someone's got a, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to get too um, outrageous here and suggest that, you know, he takes a giant rip off a bong or something, but... Maybe he's going to get better as he doesn't more. I know Sponge just definitely relaxed into it. So perhaps he's just sort of being broken in by the organization. And uh, we'll see a Vendetta who's uh, who's relaxed one of these days. It'll be nice. Um, <laughs> he actually started off by calling North heroic, which was funny. I don't know if anyone picked that up. Anyway, it's not like we don't all do the same thing as well. He's only human. First match... Um, Well, of course, this is the grand final. So the first map, and if you weren't following by this point or you didn't watch it, it it's G2 versus North. The first map was uh, Inferno, I believe. No, it's not. You know what? You know what happened? Usually, I write down notes as I'm watching these matches. And if I don't, I forget the maps almost instantly. And uh, I think I'm sick, so it's harder for me to remember. But still, like I watched these yesterday and today, I have no idea what happened. Um, It was a fun series, I remember, but it didn't really have any plays that absolutely blew my mind. Uh, So let's talk about the Inferno map, which I guess, yeah, it was the first map. Um, G2 were pounding the A site. And interestingly enough, they did this really great round where they sort of surrounded the site, got as close as they could and just waited for North to push. Uh, And the first push that North made was Arch. And they punished that and then basically swarmed the site all at once, all five players. It's a fun uh, strat to watch. Just the actual positions of each player is just... The sight lines were perfect, uh, really perfect. You could tell they'd thought about... Well, maybe they'd thought about it or maybe it was just expertise, but they were playing, outplaying um, north from the first round, basically, or for the first gun round. And when they went B uh, in the sixth round, I think it was, config and MSL... Who a B went down. Cajun managed to get there in time with an orb and gave a really good lesson in rotation. Right, holding B with the orb and his positioning. I don't know where what you call the place where he was. It wasn't backside right. It wasn't that dark corner and it wasn't that other corner behind the chunky boxes that you can boost over. It was behind that little sliver of stone in the middle, that kind of pylon. And it's not where you expect to see someone when you first enter uh, the B side. It's a strange angle. and But the moment he did his first shot, he was immediately moving and baiting until his teammates arrived. I think it's a great round to check out if you're an AWPA or you, you, you find yourself having to rotate and hold B often. Now, um, yeah, G2 got off to a large lead, the T side, but North similarly proved to have a superior T side. But in the end, I think G2's positioning... And the backups of each other, and particularly the way they backed up Kenny S. The moment he shot, there was someone moving to where he was. Even if he, even if he won, even if he won the pick, Uh, that was just superior to North. And what I mean by that is that they North never backed up Cajun B the same way. It was almost like he was they just treated him like another rifler. And uh, you saw this. You saw had this kind of. Mm, really stung them on the next map, which was Cobblestone. And in which there was a round where Cajun and AZ were defending the A site, but they were both in danger and Cajun had an AWP. Now, danger, if you don't know, is that that kind of weird little double staircase between long and mid on the A site. And it's difficult to defend if you're two people full stop because you can sort of get sprayed down from both sides with one of those players being an AWP, it's just a disaster. And so I just don't feel like they'd really integrated the AWP in the same way that G2 has. So you kind of, They don't revolve around Kenny, but he's such a presence that it's uh, you can tell a lot of their plays are about protecting him, You know, babysitting him, backing him up. Um, so that's one of the really big weak points of North, in my opinion. They don't really know how to take care of Cajun. Um, and G2 ended up winning the Cobblestone 15, 16-9, of course. I think they're definitely the better team in all respects at this point, although North, it's exciting to have another team who's competitive now. North had such potential for so long. And uh, G2 finally seemingly hitting the skill level that we know they're capable of. Now, in in an interview afterwards, Kenny attributed some of their success to Smiths, who he said gave them some of the strats on Cobble that took them to victory there, in particular pushing Three plat and two drop, not a uh, not a uh, complicated strat by any means, but obviously Smith was was seeing that that was the weak point in North's defence, and uh, he had a good point because often uh, if if Cajun wasn't stuck in danger like a moron, he'd be back on the on the back 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 on the bomb side of A, and generally picking off enough people or G2 wasn't moving fast enough really to allow his teammates to rotate in. So it was a good call by Smiths. And interesting that G2 really can hit their potential when they've got someone just being that voice of reason. It means a lot, I think, to other teams as well. It's it's a good thing to know. And let's hope, like some of the players said, that the other organizations take note and implement some of the same coaching rules that were in place for this because I think it makes it more competitive. Now, according to HLTV, SK is still the number one team, but this victory brings G2 into the number two spot. Then, of course, Astralis still hanging on by the skin of their teeth to number three. Uh, Then we've got uh, North, and then Gambit has slipped beneath North. So that's Streamhack Malmo 2017. It was a good good tournament. Uh, It's a shame about the timing, but... um, Hey, I'm used to it now let's move on to some shh. well let's move on to the toxic player of the week now there is actually no toxic player of the week this week and that is because everyone who I've played with recently has been absolutely lovely absolutely lovely so well done CSGO community It's a it's a rare occasion that I can say this But well done. And uh, on that positive note, move on to some shout-outs. having not advertised this podcast, doing it purely, let's be honest, my own amusement, it's been nice to get some uh, fan mail, Um, which is probably not what I should be calling it because I don't think I have fans. But people have been emailing me appreciative of the podcast. And when I say people, I mean two first off, I'm going to give a shout-out to Maxwell Rivera, who sent me a lovely email saying he discovered the podcast in Episode 7 and will listen from this point on. Thank you, mate. And uh, Alex Goob Ostermeyer, who emailed me a few weeks ago now and uh, said, a very nice, said some very nice things about the podcast, and said he's looking forward to the Bialy episode. Now, if you only just started listening, the Bialy episode... Is an episode that is coming and will purely be focused on Bialy, aka Pavel Jablinski, or something like that, uh, the erstwhile player of Virtus Pro. Now, the issue is, my dear Goob, that gathering intel on this character is extremely difficult. Bialy's like the Where's Wally of Counter Strike. And I think I'm going to have to reach out to Virtus Pro at this point. Although, there was a juicy little Instagram post. And uh, if you're if you're a lurker on HLTV, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a female player called Mimi on one of the female teams. And I apologize, I don't know the actual team. Who was in an Instagram post with Bialco, aka Biali kissing him on the cheek and saying, my love, or maybe he was kissing him, I can't remember. Speculation, obviously, uh, went wild. Accusations were hurled. Uh, teeth were gnashed. Hair was torn out. I think Mimi has a, a large following amongst the hysterical virgins that populate the lower depths of HLTV. But this is not conclusive proof of anything regarding Bialy. And uh, as such, I'm going to treat it as a purely... Uh, Distracting chum That uh, Celebrities like to often throw in the water Via their Instagram accounts, So as to uh, excite The tuna that follow the boats So to speak If you know what I'm talking about If you follow my drift So the Biali episode will come But it's going to take some serious time And journalistic sleuthing And uh, you're going to have to be patient uh, But it will come CS we've got coming up. The next big uh, match appears to be the Mykonos Tour. That starts Thursday. It runs until Sunday. We've got 250k up for grabs. We've got Liquid VP, Big Envious Gambit, SK, Heroic and mouse Sports so it doesn't stop. I've only just recovered from the late nights of trying to watch all of this Counter-Strike and the cycle will begin again and my dear friends, I will be there to cover it for you. If you have any feedback or any gripes, if you want to sue me and send me a letter of cease and desist, you can send it to the Truth CSGO Podcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, the Truth CSGO Podcast. Or you can follow me at Truth CSGO Podcast on the Twit Sphere. I'm quite new to Twitter, so make me feel welcome. And oh, come on. Um, by the way, I've still got two bloody tickets to New York, ESL one. It's like worth 120 bucks. Surely there's someone in the States in the big app who wants to go to that and hasn't bought a ticket yet or has got a friend who hasn't bought a ticket yet who's got a cousin who lives in New York and doesn't know what Counter-Strike is and has been raving to about this thing and can go, hey mate, look, I got you some tickets. Go along, take your girlfriend or your mum and uh, check it out. Uh, so all you got to do <laughs> is let me know that you want them. I'm not even asking you to send me, you know, 300 words and why you think... The Truth CSGO podcast is the greatest greatest podcast of all time. Um, all you got to do is tell me that you want them. Uh, and I know you're out there. We're getting a couple of hundred uh, listeners each um, episode and the audience is growing. So tell your friends. Uh, of course, I will look benevolently upon you should you retweet an episode of the show or share it with someone. But that's not necessary. Let's be honest. Uh, I just can't be there to use the tickets and I'd rather that someone who was passionate about CSGO enjoyed them. All right, until next time, peace.